Welcome to Obsessed Show, a podcast that is designed to inspire, featuring some of the most creative people in the world. I'm your host, Josh Miles. If you're into what we're doing here, you might also want to check out my personal branding and marketing tips called 59 Second Friday. That's over at youtube.com slash Josh Miles. As many of you may know, we have never really had sponsors on Obsessed Show, but maybe the first sponsor could be you. We are now up on Patreon. If you head over to patreon.com slash Josh Miles and donate even a few bucks per episode, it would mean a lot. Thanks for checking that out. Again, that's patreon.com slash Josh Miles. Let's talk about today's episode. Today on Obsessed Show, this episode is all about experiential design. Today I'm chatting with the founders and principals of O'Kelly Kasprak, Belinda O'Kelly and David Kasprak. David and Belinda run the firm O'Kelly Kasprak, where David oversees much of the interior and design work of the firm, while Belinda oversees a lot of the marketing and business development. So I'm curious to hear how these two partners work on things together. Fun fact, Belinda studied abroad in Versailles, France, and in Indiana, we have a city called Versailles that is spelled the same. Sadly, we pronounce it (laughs) incorrectly. So I'm really excited to talk all about experiential design and maybe a little bit about David's motorcycles. Uh, But without further ado, Belinda and David, welcome to Obsessed Show. Thank you. We are happy to be here, Josh. Our pleasure, Josh. Well, I promise I want to get to an experiential design, but I feel like this is very tangential to the world of design. Belinda, I saw it in your profile they tell me that you are a foodie. So if we let you borrow the Obsessed Show credit card and you and David could go eat whatever you want, what's it going to be? Uh, so I I would say that I am, as many people here know, uh, I am a taco aficionado. So mm. I, I take my tacos very seriously. In fact, we had an event here where we all we did was we rented a trolley and we had margaritas on board and we drove to every single person in this company's, now we were, we were smaller then, favorite taco joint and ate their favorite taco. Um, and so, so that, that was my, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy and expensive to be, to be awesome. So we, we try to hit up a lot of uh, taco joints and, and sample the, the local Chicago uh, interpretations. Corn or flour? Corn. Corn, hard shell, soft shell? Soft shell. And then are you more of the, I want it to be super authentic, like I would find south of the border, or are you looking for more artistic and interesting culinary expression? I think anything interesting and, you know, different, um, you know, I think my favorite taco ingredient, and this is going to be surprising, pickled onions, Mm. something that has that kind of crunch and bite to it that's a little bit maybe unconventional. So um, my favorite taco uh, is a shrimp taco with some avocado crema and some pickled onion and that kind of, uh, that's my, that was my go-to for a long time. But I do not discriminate. I try all different types. (laughs) I will vouch for that. (laughs) She's dragged me out more than one time. And David, your um, story that I wanted to talk about a little bit was, I understand that you are a black belt. Does that come in handy in the world of architecture? Well, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, enforce your design vision and you, you got to take what it, you know, do it any way you can. Uh, no, it doesn't. It's just a nice fact. Uh, 
I got involved in that. I had two, my first two kids, and they were in fourth grade and first grade. And uh, I showed up at, used to take them and bring them to the class. And the instructor said, you know, for another 10 bucks, instead of sitting around, you could, you know, get some exercise and so on. So um, those two daughters have both graduated college now, and they dropped out after about six months each. And I've been doing Taekwondo ever since. So, Well, Belinda, maybe you could um, start with what's usually my first question when I'm not talking about tacos at the top of the show. Um, I'm curious how you found yourself into this world of architecture and design. What What's your design origin story? Uh, so um, when I was a kid, I really enjoyed, like I, I liked all things architecture in terms of blocks and building things and helping my dad with projects. Um, and then when I was in junior high, we took a drafting class and the assignment was to draw your own house. And so I, I actually drew my own house and I was very proud of it and I uh, I actually presented it to my mom and I was just, you know, sure she would be in awe of it and think it was amazing and <laughs> she went through it and said, well, I guess this is okay, but it's what we already have. Like, what do I need these for? You should have drawn your dream house. Like, what are we going to do to change mm. this house and make it amazing and make it to be the, you know the best house on the block. And, and then I, I kind of got my creative juices flowing and I spent all summer actually redesigning our house, um, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then I, um, I presented, I got, I got my mom and dad together and presented the new vision, which did include a rooftop pool, uh, some, some horse quarters for horses, which is probably a little unconventional for our small subdivision neighborhood of Grand Rapids. Um, I had all kinds of things figured out. My sister was not, she didn't make the cut to be in our actual house, but I did something nice for her off in the backyard. Um, there were all kinds of, you know, cool things. And, and then my mom and my mom and dad were, were, uh, very appreciative of it. They thought it was very cool. Um, they, uh, they kind of broke my heart when they said they, they didn't have the millions of dollars it would take to do it. Um, the piece that we did piece that we did bring out of it as I had showed as part of my presentation uh, a restructuring of our laundry room shelving which my mom had complained about for you know the years since we had bought the house and so my dad and I did redo the shelving in the laundry room so um, but I think just that idea the concept of taking something and making it to be kind of the ultimate the ultimate experience for your for the use, you know. So I think that was kind of a really cool exercise, and it kind of blew my mind open to the idea of what what I think architecture and design is really all about, which is sort of you know curating an experience. And so that's the thing that kind of made you think maybe that's what I want to do when I grow up. Yes. So I decided uh, very early, and that was in seventh grade, that I was going to be an architect, and I never really wavered from that uh, from that focus. And then before um, your partnership now, were you working for other firms early in your career? Yeah. So I, um, I actually started out when I was actually studying abroad in France. My roommate, her uncle happened to own a, um, an architecture firm in Chicago, um, and they did hospitality design. And I, um, this is in you know, the late 90s before people used computers to do internet things. Um, so every single portfolio that I was sending out to apply for a job was costing me 20 bucks. Um, and so she said, so one day she's like, dude, why don't you just work for my uncle? It'll be so easy. You can just, we can just tell him that's what you're going to do. And I was like, yes, that sounds much easier. So, um, so I kind of fortuitously ended up interning at, uh, at the time it was called Amelie Youngquist and it was a firm that specialized in restaurant design. 
Um, and I had a blast that summer, just kind of, you know, learning how to think about things a little bit differently. Um, you know, the world of hospitality, you know, you're designing for kind of a different, a different crowd. And one of the coolest things I think about, about designing restaurants is that you get to go there and try them and experience the designs that you come up with. Um, and so, so I, that's where I started kind of, uh, my architectural career, and then uh, I ended up working for Amelia Youngquist for a good good bit of time after college, um, and then even ended up um, after that I, I went to Simeone Deary Design Group, which is a big hotel design firm, um, for a few years, and then and then I came came back to AY and. Um, actually, one of the ironic kind of full circle things is Bill Amiller, the guy that hired me out of college, actually works here now. So it's kind of a, a cool story. Hmm. Small world. And uh, David, what was your origin story? You know, we are kind of a similar thing in that uh, I was driving my mom nuts during the summer. I think I was uh, between fifth and sixth grade. So she, you know, made me take a math lab for summer school get out of her hair, I think. And uh, one of the projects was to take it, you know, create a floor plan for a house. And, and the math part was dimensioning the floor plan. And I went home and for my sixth grade birthday, which is about what, 11 years old or so, I asked her for a drafting board and T-square, uh, which is probably dating myself, um, so that I could, you know, draw floor plans and she got me this little book and and to this day I don't know where this book is but I would give a lot to have it and I would draw all these floor plans of houses in there and and you know I thought they were just you know really forward thinking I, I like I said I'd love to see them and see if they're a bunch of you know really remedial things or whether they were actually uh, you know uh, showing me as some sort of a prodigy so but um, <laughs> I never look back and uh, so, so similar to Belinda I just uh going to become an architect and that's all I was going to do it and I will tell you that that is a real luxury because I, I know you know um, having family and so on and 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 kids trying to decide what it is they want to do um, and agonizing about it I never had that I never had that problem because I just knew what I was going to do and for better or worse we did it and here we are now. I met Belinda at R. Miller Youngquist. Uh, we were both at that same firm, so I was working there. She's, uh, uh, I have a few more miles on me than she does, so uh, I was a longtime, you know, member there. And uh, you know, when that firm in 2010, when it, uh, when uh, the economy was bad, and we all decided that it was time to uh, go our own separate ways. Uh, there were three of us that were principals. Uh, Belinda was uh, off doing some real estate at the time, and we I called her up and said, okay, you want to be a realtor or you want to be an architect? And uh, I'm very fortunate that, uh, well, she first said realtor, but I talked her out of it. Oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, actually, it didn't take her long. She decided she uh, wanted to be an architect. So uh, We actually had, um, we had this kind of funny day where we had, we call it our Jerry Maguire day, um, where we kind of assembled all the big clients that we had and we had one guy in particular um, and we went and we kind of, we had this new idea of starting an architecture firm and we were going to do things differently and it was going to be this great new vision and so we just, we, we contacted this particular client and said, okay, we're going to come and we, we you know, we want to want to 
pitch the, pitch our new idea and see if you're with us. And and what he didn't know was that whether he was with us or not, pretty much decided whether or not we would be a firm, right? Because he was oh. our, our only big paying client, right? <laughs> um, sort of like, so you lined up all the big paying clients, which was one. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure this was not actually the case, but we kind of talk about it this way, is that we went and had, had lunch and we're sitting there and he's eating his lunch and he's eating his lunch and we make our pitch and you know, kind of, you know, are, are you with us or are you with them or whatever the case may be. He was eating be. soup, I remember, and it took yeah. him forever to answer. Yeah. You know, for dramatic effect, I don't know what it seemed like forever. And then finally, he just kind of looked up and said, okay, let's do this. And, uh, you know, probably three weeks later, he, if not less than that, he, we actually it wasn't even that because uh, we ended up being, being named O'Kelly Kasprak because he called up and he said, um, Okay, we have a project for you. We need your W-9 and your incorporation papers and everything uh, in 72 hours or whatever. And we're like, okay, what are we going to call ourselves? And so Linda actually <laughs> wasn't even named O'Kelly at the time because she wasn't married. So uh, it was like, okay, of course, everything goes with Casprac. So that was easy, you know, but. Uh, um, yeah, and to this day, he's our biggest referral source. He, yeah. still, gives, he still gives us a lot of, of work and drives a lot of uh, work our way, which is, we're very thankful for him. And you guys pay him in soup? Yeah, pretty. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know what, it's funny. I think he's the, the kind of person that kind of got kind of a, got some kicks out of the idea of helping us start out and it has an entrepreneurial uh, spirit as well. So I think that kind of works in our favor. But similar to the Godfather, if he calls up and he says, I need you to do this for me and whatever, uh, we just do it. You know, it's not, you know, that's awesome. Don't haggle about it, whatever. It's just, and I'm talking about, you know, whether it's price or whatever, you know, it can be a little job, a big job, you know, but if it's him calling up, uh, you know, we have that loyalty to him as well. And we just, you know, make it ever done. You know, maybe the project was because maybe he was in the hospitality business, but I'm curious, um, Belinda, it sounds like hospitality for you is kind of the the ends to go to a cool restaurant, <laughs> but I'm curious <laughs> why, um, what drove you guys to focus on hospitality in the first place? Well, I think that, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot that's interesting about hospitality is that it has kind of this dual element where it has to look really cool. Um, but it also has a very technical side that has to be kind of spot on in order for it to function well. So you think about a restaurant, for example, it has a pretty complex, engineering uh, scope of work on the kitchen side to figure out how all the, the equipment works, how all the different prep lines and, and uh, cook lines and everything work together and get, you know, you're dealing with gas and electric and, and how the chefs work. And then there's that kind of technical piece. And then it also has, you know, when you walk into a restaurant, I think everyone at this point, when they go to out to dinner, they expect it to look cool and they expect there to be some, some ambiance and some cool guest experience that's been thought about. Um, so I think the, the whole idea of kind of creating that complete package of the experience, you know, the, the uniforms have to make sense, the order of service has to make sense, the way the dining room looks and feels, how loud it is, what the, what the music's like, how, how, how high is the light level, and then, you know, the speed of service and efficiency for that back end to be able to actually have a business out of it. Um, I think all of those things, um, the complexity of that, I think we find generally very intriguing. Yeah, it's amazing how if even one of those elements is not quite right, it's the kind of thing that makes you think, well, maybe we don't want to go back there. Right. 
you know, it's a lot like um, there's a very theatrical quality to what we do as mm. opposed to, I mean, I suppose we could be designing uh, uh, courthouses, server farms, warehouses, you know, there's all kinds of, all kinds of architecture to be done out there, but hospitality in particular, and we're talking about restaurants, hotels, things of that nature. Um, it's very much uh, about, uh, it's very theatrical. So the mood, the, the lighting, like we said, all those, all those elements have to be, it's really, it's really very much like a stage set and people are coming for an experience. They're going out of their way to come there, and unlike uh, doing an office where somebody comes there because they're working every day, it's an event for them, and it's, it's so so it's very much about uh, creating that special experience. Yeah, and you have to be a destination, right? There's a lot of pressure. I mean, I think it, I think it's still nine out of ten restaurants in Chicago fail in the first year. Um, you know, there's a lot of competition out there, and there's a lot of people doing it well. So, you know, to really hit the mark on the on on all fronts is extremely difficult. Um, and so I think, you know, to your, to your point, Josh, that's part of the challenge is to be able to do all of those things, right? Yeah, exactly. So when you talk about the kind of the theatrical element to this, does that kind of weave into, um, what you refer to as experiential design? Yes. So when we think about kind of, you know, when you think about going, you know, hospitality design, so that's, you know, for us, that's generally speaking, hotels, bars, restaurants clubs, entertainment venues, sports venues, anything that's all about the guest experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the big, the big thing that we all think about and that we start off brainstorming about is, all right, how do we want people to feel when they walk in? How do, you know, how are they greeted? How are they going through this whole experience? Because I think, you know, especially right now in the age where, you know, you have Amazon, so you don't have to go to a store anymore and you, you can do so many things online, you know, really restaurants and hotels are kind of this last sort of this last frontier where you go there for the experience. So, um, you know, we have to put a lot of thought into, you know, how people feel when they walk in, how they feel when they sit down, what, what environment are we creating and why, and how does that align with our food service, our food, our service concept, um, and the intent of the, the ownership or the client of how they want to take people through a space. Um, and so those are kind of the pieces that we lock into. And, and to David's point, the theater set design is a good analogy um, because we're kind of, we're kind of, we, we say curating experiences through design. Um, we're thinking about all that as we put all these pieces together. You know, when we start doing a design, we, it, it really, the design starts before we actually put any, an electronic uh, lead to paper, so to speak. So we, we come up with that. We, we push hard here for the design team to come up with a, a concept. And, you know, that concept can be based on, uh, you know, a decor, it can be based on um, color, it can be something about the client, uh, it can be something about the people that are going to come there, it can be about the location, but we, we really try to find something that can ground the design and give us a, a launch point. And then the, the rest of the design can feed off of and build off of that. And, uh, and I think that's very much the same thing with any sort of a, a theater set or anything like that, where you, you're starting with the play or you're starting with, uh, you know, the, the act and so on and so forth, and then, and then building from there. How do you, you complement that experience with the design? And we, we also talk a little bit about, you know, when we're doing conceptual design, it is a little bit of telling a story. 
So how are we taking people through that story and how are we, how many times do you have to come back to really unveil all of the layers of that story? And, and so that, you know, kind of goes to what David's saying in terms of how we sort of build this experience. We re literally build a narrative a lot of times for our design. So in other words, uh, in-house here, whether, whether the client ever sees it or not, uh, and oftentimes they do, you know, but it's, uh, we will actually come up with a, a written narrative that kind of keeps us focused and helps to hone down the, the design. And in fact, we always say here that the, the shorter the narrative, the stronger the design. So if you, you know, if it takes you a paragraph to decide to, to, to talk about what it is you're trying to do, that is not as strong as if it takes you two sentences. Where do you feel, you know, I heard you guys say at the beginning of this, it's really asking the question of what do you want to feel when you come into the space or, you know, what, what do you want that takeaway to be? Beyond that, where do you start? Where, where would a, an experiential design kind of project, like which, which of those um, senses are you beginning with? So I, I think honestly, we start most of our conceptual design exercises, I think naturally with images. So what we'll do a lot of times if we're meeting a new client and sometimes that client might have a pretty good idea of what they want and a lot of times that client doesn't. Um, for example, we have a client and they say, okay, well, we want to design the next neighborhood joint. We want it to be a neighborhood bar, a tavern. Um, and we have a lot of, in a lot of cases, we'll have a client that has thought a lot about one aspect, but none of the rest, right? So they've thought a lot about their menu. They know exactly what they want to serve, but they haven't thought about what it looks like. Um, and so we'll kind of take that, any information that we have from that client, and then we go through kind of a big image exercise, and we may involve even the client in this, where we'll put together a deck of 100 images. And the goal of this is to kind of flip through and just sort of, sort of naturally respond to each one with a, yep, that fits, or that doesn't fit, or I like this about that, just kind of get, get, getting a reaction of sort of the mood, um, either of the internal design team, or like I said, we'll involve the client and have that exercise with the client. Um, and from there, we will curate the imagery down to a kind of a what we call a mood board or a concept board that tells what we feel like is the story. Um, and then a lot of times we will pair that with, as David said, a narrative, or sometimes it ends up being phrases or keywords or a quote or something that we feel like embodies the spirit of what we want the, the end product to be. So all of this is uh, about communication and making sure everybody's on the same page. If, if a, Josh, if you come in and tell us that you have a project and you want us to do it, and you say, I want it to be uh, light and airy, uh, uh, reminiscent of, uh, you know, a bungalow on the ocean. You know, what my image of that might be something very Mediterranean. Yours mm -hmm. might be something very Midwestern or, you know, Southern California. Some, uh, it could be Asian, whatever the case might be. And, and we can talk about that, you know, 10,000 words or, you know, half a dozen photographs and really kind of zoom in and, and understand it. So it's very much about establishing a, vi a visual language as opposed to, you know, a, a verbal language. Yes. A lot, you know, a lot of our clients, and I think a lot of people generally are really good at knowing what they like when they see it, but are not necessarily good at explaining what that is. Or how to get there. Yeah, I higher. had a lot of clients early on that would say things like, I'm a visual person. And I, I always took that to mean that they could see it in their head. And I think what they meant was they have to see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, it was always interesting when you're like, you're talking through things and they're nodding and they're smiling, but, 
but you then you show it to them and it's totally what you were picturing and they go, oh, that's not what I was picturing at all. Right. And, and the faster we can get through that piece of making sure we're all on that same sort of visual cue level, um, you know, the better off we are. So that image exercise right in the beginning kind of helps set everybody to be in that same frame of mind um, before we kind of go into figuring out more of the details. So talk through a little bit, you know, I, I frequently ask people what their typical day or week looks like. And, and almost everybody says, well, there is no typical day or week. I do all kinds of crazy <laughs> things. So, so maybe right. talk through, I guess what would be interesting with the two of you is talk through how the two of you might both be involved in the same project. Uh, you know, at least the way we talked a little bit before the show, you know, one of you's more on the design, one's more on the outside, like, what, is, what does that actually look like when the rubber meets the road of, of like a new opportunity comes in? Let's, let's maybe go from there. Sure. Okay. Um, so, and I'll, I'm kind of thinking of one that, that David may be thinking of as well. So um, usually because I do a lot of the, the sort of outreach, I may get the lead on a, on a particular project earlier or might have that initial conversation with a client. Um, Pretty quickly, though, uh, I will meet, you know, we'll get an RFP or we'll get a, a request for proposal or somebody that wants to do some work. Um, whenever possible, we will try and go out and walk the space with them. So, um, and David and I are both a part of that. So we will both go out, kind of walk the, the, um, the property, talk to the owner, that type of thing. Um, I may do a little bit more of the upfront research in terms of comparable, comparable projects and what's out there in the market to, that you know may align with this property. Um, I may do some of the initial planning on the proposal and figuring out the proposal. Um, David may do a little bit more work on working with the studio and figuring out how much time it's gonna take, what's involved in the process, who on the staff would be the right fit. Um, and then we kind of both, I would think, generally speaking, we both kind of tag team putting that final proposal together. And, and the proposal, I mean, that's that's obviously the initial piece of it. Uh, we have a lot of conversations. So um, we were at the old firm uh, and I was there for, you know, Linda was there for 10, 15 years. I was there for, for 30 years. You know, there are three of us that were principals and we all had our own office, individual offices and ended up having our own individual clients. So we're very, uh, it's very important to me and, and I think to both of us that, um, again, that communication piece. So we have, we have an office that actually has barn doors between it. So we can shut it and, mm -hmm. you know, when we, when we aggravate one another, we can shut the door. Uh, but most of the time it's open and so that we can kind of uh, really understand what's going on. So, you know, I, I, can, I can actually hear when, when you know, Belinda is, is pitching things and so on and so forth or, uh, or projects that she's heading up that, that uh, you know, or, or taking more of an oversight, you know, piece on that I can, I can know what's going on there and vice versa. She kind of understands, you know, what's going on from, from my aspect. So that, so it's very important. We, we talk a lot about how we, you know, how one, she keeps me involved in the, in the, business aspect of it so that, you know, they, they're not all, I don't feel like all the clients are her clients because they're all coming in and vice versa. I have to be very cognizant of keeping, uh, of making sure that she knows what is going on in the office here and so on so that she doesn't feel like all she's doing is selling stuff and she's disconnected because at the end of the day, architects are, architecture is her passion. So, you mm -hmm. know, you didn't get into it to be a business person. Um, 
she just happens to excel at that piece of it more, certainly much more than I do. So yeah, and it's you know it's something where you know I try to include David on all, on a lot of the business development meetings where you know it's important for us when we're meeting with a client or we're having a big design presentation that they see both of us so that when they think of the firm they're thinking of both of us because when we do get busy or things get shuffled around or one of us is traveling we do need to step in for the other and that type of thing. Um, you know, I think, you know, to, to be perfectly honest, I think we're, we're all, what we talk about here that we're always a work in progress. So when we get really busy, sometimes it pinches one way or another and we end up having to discuss and figure out how to work through a situation on a project or another. And, um, you know, I think that's part of, I think that's part of what, what makes a, a, a partnership in a design firm difficult, but also rewarding, right? Yeah, and so one of the things that we was not by design, but it just so it, it just happened for us is that uh, so Belinda's uh, 20 years younger than I am, female obviously, uh, old old male guy. So uh, you know, we'll go into we'll go into meetings, and and it's interesting that depending on the clients and so on, uh, there's a lot of times where the clients will gravitate towards one or the other of us. Yeah. I'm not really sure why that is exactly, but they'll begin to kind of talk to Melinda and kind of, you know, even though, and address her, or in some cases they'll be, you know, talking to, you know, to start talking to me, uh, you know, uh, a bit more. And you can kind of, and so we have that advantage of having, you know, by having both of us there, we actually kind of can see who's going to be a better fit for a certain job sometimes. It doesn't have anything to do with us necessarily. It's more of what the client feels that they, who they want to work with or who they feel most comfortable with and so on. And, and that that's fine by us. Then we just kind of, you know, you know, at least front being forward facing, that's the person who kind of takes the lead on it. There was one client that uh, we were working with and, uh, I made the mistake here. We're we're in the meeting and we're <laughs> chatting or whatever, and 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 at one point in time, I go, well, you know, the, the you know, yeah, the, this is very female, you know, female, you know, it's gonna be much more, much more, uh, you know, comfortable for a female in this environment and so on. And the client looked at me and said, well, maybe we should have Belinda answer this question since she actually is a female. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think David, I think you used the, the phrase from a female perspective. <laughs> from a female perspective, this is, you know. Um, but that, you know, that gap in ages and in demeanor and having a, a man and a woman, I feel, I feel like it does help us, you know, for clients, you know, because a lot of times we're presenting to clients and they may be a group of six people. And some of the people on that team will resonate more with David and some people will resonate more with me. And I think the nice thing is we present kind of a wide variety of, you know, experience versus enthusiasm and youth and, you know, um, a deep portfolio of different types of projects. I mean, we kind of bring that all into into the same the same package. All the old grumpy guys, you know, gravitate towards me and all the, you know, <laughs> young, enthusiastic, you know, females you know, resonate towards Belinda. So, <laughs> well, I think yeah, even from a more and old and jaded, it's all together. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think maybe even from a more um, macro perspective, how how clients choose which firm they're going to work with, I think comes down to a lot of that. You know, what what may seem fluffy or nebulous or whatever, like this this fit question of you know, is this the right firm for us? So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm curious, this is my, my awkward segue here. 
um, what you think makes for a good client fit for you? Like where, maybe where do those best clients come from and how do you know when they're going to be a good fit? Um, so I think one of the things that, and, and this, by the way, is something that we've learned over the past few years. We didn't necessarily know all of this in the beginning, but I think one of the things that, that at least I've sort of come to value a lot more in the past few years is that, you know, a good client fit for us is somebody who values us as experts and somebody who kind of trusts us to, you know, once they give us the information to kind of take that information and take it to the right place. Um, you know, I think that, you know, clients that are maybe not as Good of a fit for us are very commodity driven clients where they're very price conscious to the point that you know it's hard for us to do what needs to be done on a project to properly kind of give it that full experiential design perspective so um you know and i think honestly a lot of it comes down to personality um you know sometimes you're a good fit with people and you meet most of the times when we have an initial kickoff meeting i would say 90 percent of the time it's lively with banter and people are enjoying themselves and people are really excited about the project and enthusiastic mm -hmm. about what they're doing um we feed off that our project teams feed off that then they start brainstorming and it becomes a very kind of kinetic and kind of a high energy meeting and I think everyone feels good at the end of those meetings. Um, we do have a few meetings that for whatever reason, we go, you know, we have that initial meeting and it just isn't a hit and we all feel a little awkward and like it maybe isn't the best fit. And, and I think we have to, you know, at least what, one of the things I have learned is that we have to trust that a little bit more. Um, I don't know, David, if you have a... I think Belinda hit it on the head. It's uh, the, the people that we prefer not to work with are the commodity driven people. So there, there's certain clients that it's simply, you know, you cost this amount of money, uh, somebody else costs that amount of money and, you know, the lowest price is going to be the, the company that takes it. Uh, we, we're not geared to do, to operate that way. We spend a lot of time and a lot of effort. People here spend a lot of hours in the office above and beyond the 40 hours that they technically are, are here to work and so on and they invest a lot of their their emotion and their heart into the project and those kind of projects and those kind of, of clients we're, for, we're fortunate that we can pick and choose a little bit and and those kind of uh clients i think actually drain some of that energy that Belinda was talking about so. yes what about when it's um Maybe it's a difficult project or a difficult client or just something hasn't gone the way that you wanted it to. I'm, I know we've all been there before. What do you guys Sorry, do? That never happens. Yeah, right. Yeah, everything, we do, everything we do goes perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Camelot. Um, no, I think it's, uh, it's obviously a common part of the human experience, but um, are there things that you find that work especially well for you to kind of get yourselves out of that? sort of rut or are there things that you guys do together or, or corporately, you know, things that your firm would do to kind of shake off those kind of things? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that happens, like if a project, especially when it's common when a project gets into the heat of a, a really big stress point, whether it's a really big release or it's a really aggressive schedule or something, it's, it's very common for the, you know, ten, tensions flare up a little bit and things like that. 
Um, you know, some of the tools that we use to deal with that is sometimes if somebody is in contact with one person and that relationship has just gotten to a point of frustration, um, we change up that contact person. So, it, you know, and that may be at the principal level, but more than likely it's at the project management level or at the project team level. Um, so sometimes just refreshing that relationship helps. Um, we also do a lot of things around here where we have a like particularly aggressive deadline and everybody's really been putting in their time. Uh, we've been known quite often to send people home or send the entire office home sometimes at one o'clock on a Friday just to burn off steam or we go out and we just we take everybody out for drinks and, and kind of blow off steam that way too. Um, we try to keep, a, you know, our, our people are our most valuable asset by far. Um, so, you know, making sure that people are communicating well and that they're feeling like they're being valued and listened to is pretty important. Um, and I think one of our challenges as we've grown here is for David and I to, and, and in, me particu in particular because I'm out of the office more, for us to have that sort of pulse on the office. Anything you'd add to that, David? Well, I, I think Belinda hit it on the head that uh, we do rely on our people. And, and really, we have the luxury, Belinda and I, that we, we walk in and we get to be the front person. We get to walk up in front of somebody and you know, our, our names are on the boards and we get to present this thing as though it's our own and when, when in fact it's a, it's a team that puts it together. And what we look for in people, and a lot of our people have it here, it are people that can take our vision and, and what we do and make it better. So in other words, you know, and I can't tell you how many times we'll be doing something and somebody will be, you know, okay, we need you to do this, this, and this, and come up with this, idea, you know, flush out these ideas, and they come back, it's like, wow, that is, I hadn't thought about that. That is way better than what we had envisioned. Or here's another way to do it. Yeah, we can do it that way and so on. So. Um, yeah, we try to take a pretty low ego approach, I think. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we get, we have the luxury of uh, being able to, like I said, be the front person. We get, we get credit for it, whether whoever does it there. So, and it's taken a long time for us to really understand that, and at least for me to really understand that and embrace it. And um, I think it, people appreciate it here because they feel that they take ownership of the project then and, uh, you know, it works for everybody. So we, we, we approach these projects as being a, uh, a company project, not as being uh, Belinda's project or David's project or, you know, John Q's project out here in the, in the office. So. so if we think about um, maybe your proudest moment for the firm, would that be the same moment for both of you? I don't know we never talked about it. I guess uh, here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll jump in on that is that uh, um, I don't know if it's so much a proudest moment for the firm, but what I did not realize was the pride that that having started the firm and building it up has has meant to me personally. You know, you mm -hmm. you have 15 plus people here that, you know, rely on us for, you know, livelihood and their families rely on us and they come to work every day and they're loyal to us. You know, it's a very busy job market out there right now and, and we we don't lose people very often. So I should say that I, you know, I better knock on wood. Knock on wood, man. <laughs> we'll walk out of here and three people will be telling us they're leaving. But uh, <laughs> uh, so, so the pride to me there is, is, that, is that our people really, 
appreciate being here, appreciate what they do, and um, it's kind of a professional family. Yeah, and I'll say, I'll say two moments of, of pride for me, I guess. Um, one, I remember when I heard for the first time somebody talk about us in the third person that I didn't know, that I just, you know, was standing by somebody and I heard my own, our own firm mentioned, and I was, that was kind of a big, powerful moment because it just for the first time meant that someone out there in the world knew who we were <laughs> and that we were doing things. Um, and, you know, the second thing that I'll mention kind of piggybacks on what David would say, uh, was saying that, you know, I've gotten so much more satisfaction and pride of ownership out of the fact that we kind of have, have hired people and, and helped them to grow their careers and help them to grow their paths. Um, and if they, you know, we kind of provide a medium for them to be able to grow as a professional, like to develop professionally. Um, and I think that is really exciting. You know, we've, we've had a couple people even spin off and start their own companies, which has been um, really kind of cool to see. Um, you know, I suppose on one side, they, they'll probably be a competitor someday, but, um, but it's been a cool thing to watch that sort of develop and happen. So I think it, it's interesting that you both kind of came up in the same uh, firm before joining forces, but um, so maybe you'll have similar answers to this. Um, but maybe Belinda will let you go first. Who would you list as your design heroes? So I actually spent um, I spent a few years at a firm called Simeone Deary and Lisa Simeone. I started at that firm when they were only five people, and now they're like a hundred and. I don't even know how, 130. Um, so when I started, I got the opportunity for a few years to work really right up there with Lisa and Gina. Um, and I, I thought Lisa was um, a particularly um, just inspiring person for a couple reasons. One, um, you know, she could she could sell work like nobody that I had ever encountered. You know, she was just the marketing queen. She was constantly thinking about what our next projects were going to be and how we were going to get them and thinking kind of three steps ahead of everybody else. And to me, you know, in the architectural world, I had not run into anybody like that who was that forward thinking in terms of just business development. You know, we all go to school to learn how to draw and to be architects, and that's kind of all what we're focused on. Um, but she, that was more of a, an interior design firm, but she was always focused on what, where, where we were going in three years. Um, mm. And that was uh, really interesting and, and, and cool. And so I, I'd say that she's probably the person who's effect, directly affected the way that I think about business and design the most. Um, uh, you know, it would probably be Lisa or Dave. Uh, a non-architectural person. Uh, I have two uh, that I come off, come off right off, off the top of my head and neither one of them is anybody I know, but they're famous. So uh, Steve Jobs, I guess, you know, Apple, that culture and and the kind of that attention to detail and, and the elegance of the products that they came up with really was a game changer and, and uh, you know to this day. And then the other uh, uh, architect is uh, Frank Geary. And the thing about that is, you know, I saw his 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 work and I, I thought to myself, I would never have come up with that in a hundred years. And you know. Most everything else, you know, you see, you see something published somewhere, you know, big building, whatever, magnificent project. But hey, I can see how I can see how that was designed and the thought behind it. And you know, I, I feel <laughs> like, given the right circumstances and opportunity, you know, our our firm here could come up with something like that. The stuff he does, I don't know. 
it's really it's really <laughs> amazingly different from any, from the way that I think and so on and and uh, and I admire that. I mean, it's just he kind of that was a game changer from a design standpoint in terms of just new and different. Yeah, I know he can be a polarizing figure, especially in the architecture world. But um, his uh, um, the the film sketches of Frank Gehry um, is is a really interesting. Um, you know, bio documentary, whatever you want to call it, but it's a really cool video, especially, you know, even for somebody like me, I'm, I'm more of a branding and graphic design background, but I, I still found it pretty fascinating. Yeah. He's uh he was a game changer here. You know, I, I really think he, you know, there's certain in architecture, at least there's certain, you know, kind of movements that have happened uh, in, in, you know, before, maybe a little before our lifetimes and during our lifetimes that, that kind of, changed what we think is a, as a population about our built environment. And he's one of those guys that has moved it. He, you know, kind of embraced the, you know, the move to computer aided design and, and really advanced, you know, what you could do with it. And he's going to set the tone for the next, uh, next many years. You know, switching gears a little bit, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of um, interior architects and designers listening who are, um, you know, maybe most of their day is doing corporate work or fit plans or, or things that they're not especially excited about. So maybe every one of your projects is kind of a dream project <laughs> for them to do hotels and hospitality and restaurants and that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm curious what, um, what's kind of the, either a moonshot or a dream project that you guys have in mind, or is that a, a shared vision or do you each have your own? Well, I, you know, one of the things I think would be super fun to design that this is just my own vision. I think I've never talked about it with David, but um, would be like a small ship or a um, like a tree house or a tiny house, like a super efficient, small living space. I think that would be really fun to kind of think about. One of the things I, you know, one of the things I've always loved about, like if you go inside of a yacht, um, not that I have that many opportunities to go inside of yachts. <laughs> I'm looking for more friends with a yacht so I can go inside. But they have, you know, how everything inside of a cabin and a ship is kind of built into the walls and, you know, kind of that next level of design that flips into a bed, which turns into a seat or, you know, I I think that kind of convertible design that they use a lot in ship cabins. um, I've always been a little bit fascinated with that. I am personally, uh, a little bit off of the architecture front, but I'm always fascinated by lighting. Uh, certainly, we uh, partly because we do our own lighting design to a large degree in here in our office, and it's a, such an integral part of what we do. But the actual, you know, decorative or, or actually manufacturing lighting. I'm sitting here in our we're sitting in our conference room right now, and there's this really fantastic light fixture. Two of them actually are put together here that are about 13 feet long all in total. And they, they're kind of a squiggly bunch of lights and uh, they look like a tangled, you know, a, a tangled mess of wire and so on, but they are really, really cool. And in fact, Belinda and I, we were, we were at light fair and uh, uh, being hosted by somebody and we were, we were, we had just built our offices out and we both looked at this light and said, you know, told the rep, we want that. I, I will say we had had a couple glasses of champagne and only sort of remembered, <laughs> only sort of remembered ordering the light the next day. Um, but it's very cool. <laughs> so designing the the actual light 
lighting fixtures is is what you're we we, we do some of that um i think actually you know kind of really advancing that and actually um you know if i were to do something allied to architecture and so on that would be a an avenue that i would really want to explore so belinda you might already have an out for this question because your answer might be tacos but we we ask all of our <laughs> guests what they are most obsessed with right now. So I'm, I'm curious, we'll let Belinda go first on this one. Oh, like, like a general item? It could be anything? Yeah, it can be anything. Design, life, you name it. Uh, I would say, so I was, I am really, I'm really obsessed with the 1940s design. Mm. Like 1940s cars. Um like, uh, were they Duesenbergs that came out of Indiana in the 30s and 40s? Those kind of cool, old-school cars with the high-contrast colors and the curvy shapes. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about at all, but there were these yeah. cool, cool older cars and contrast welting and piping on things. And 1940s women's shoes are really cool. And I've been kind of into that, into that lately. So I would say that's my answer today. Yeah, we had Stutz and Studebaker and all kinds of cool yeah. cars that came out of Indiana. I'm sure there's a reason we don't have those anymore, but I think style-wise, they were. I will tell you, so this David will appreciate this. I ordered a pair of gold sparkly wingtip shoes that were kind of 1940s inspired. <laughs> the nice. entire office saw them, and uh, I loved them. And I don't. I think I was the only one, so they got returned. But yeah, that, that, that was. Uh... <laughs> They were special. <laughs> I, I always like louder shoes than most, but uh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I um, socks. It, yeah. So, David, is that what you're most obsessed with? Your sock collection? Well, these, these days, and we touched on it a little bit here. I've been I've been in the process of uh, deciding uh, buying a motorcycle, and so uh, you know. In fact, I, I had one that. Uh, I found online and it was a little used and literally I, you know, I had the deal worked out. I was figuring out how to ship it from across the country and so on. And then you know, the guy's like, well, I'll be back in the office on Thursday and we'll work out the detail. And on Thursday he calls up and he says, yeah, I was on, well, I was on vacation. They sold it to somebody else. So now I'm back uh. starting over again. But uh, uh, anyway, um, so bottom line there is I've been shopping around for these as my, my midlife crisis, I suppose. And, uh, um, and I'm looking forward to it. Very cool. Well, is this a, um, like more of a cruising bike or a speed bike? Oh no, it's a, it was a, you know, kind of a, 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 a cruiser. So yeah. not, not huge, but, uh, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I, I'm always a little bit offbeat, so I, I like the American buying American idea. But uh, this was uh, an Indian, so mm, kind cool. of uh, not a not the Harley, but uh, an Indian Scout, and uh, they they really have kind of a retro quality to them, and are they're very cool. So uh, I, I will, you know, if I talk about it enough, it will become a reality. Tune in next time when David has a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, those Indian bikes are really cool. Um, so. Maybe as we're kind of winding down here, Belinda, I'm curious um, what your maybe favorite piece of advice that you've received is or your favorite piece of advice to share with other um, employees in the firm. Ooh, um, 
I would say that the thing that serves me the most and the thing that I, I would impart on to others is to always be listening for opportunities. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we talk about it more on the sales and business development side, but I think it really exists anywhere. Um, you know, if you keep your ears open and you really listen to what people are talking about, um, there's a lot of hidden opportunities in what, what a lot of people say. Um, and I think that that's something that's kind of served me well and that I would say is something that um, I didn't always do. And it's something maybe in the last few years that I've done a lot more. And I think it's been it's worked out for the best. This is sort of like akin to everybody's in sales where, you know, always listening, but not just, not just for a project, but like in life in general. Yes. And I would say, you know, the second piece of that is that you yourself are a brand. So everything you're doing and everything you're seeing and interacting with, you know, you're kind of, I feel like everybody individually is kind of their own brand. So um, you have this, this ultimate opportunity to constantly craft it and make it better and, um, and sort of think about how it's translating out into the world. And so we think about that, you know, you think about that on a personal level, but then also as a company, it's a very powerful thing. Love it. David, what would yours be? So a lot of the people that come to work for us do it because they, they have an elevated sense of, of design. I mean, uh, they, they want to be designing, you know, expressing themselves through design and so on. So I think the, my advice to them would be simply figure out how you, how you design. So everybody designs differently. Some people can sit down and design on a big level, you know, uh, very uh, big picture and put together things quickly and so on. Others take a lot of, you know, process in order to get from here to there. I, ha I personally happen to be one of those people that requires X amount of time to really think about something and, and then then it just kind of happens, but I have to put that time in up front. And it took many years to learn how to do that. And I, and I think uh, it's frustrating for people if they're not working to their advantage in terms of their, their skill set and so on. They they don't produce what they want to or what we, what we want them to, and uh, and it's not necessarily because they don't have the talent. It's just because they're not it's, they're not using the right process or the right uh, methodology to get there. Excellent. Well, um, we will certainly link to um, your website and a few of the things that we talked about today in the show notes. But before we let you both go, um, let us know where else we should be connecting with both you personally and maybe things related to your firm online. Sure. Um, so our website, okellycastbrack.com, um, we're pretty, we're pretty active on social media. So in Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, you know, LinkedIn, any of those formats. Um, I am also happy to talk to anyone via email or if anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm pretty responsive. Um, so I am Belinda at O'KellyCashback.com and David is David at O'KellyCashback.com. Um, and you can find us online and, and we do encourage anybody to reach out with any questions or if they just simply wanted to follow up on anything we said today. David, anything for you uh, personally in addition to that? Um, Belinda has, uh, I think, summarized it very well. I just <clears throat> want to say that it's been a pleasure for us to have been part of your podcast. As I, as I said uh, to you offline, I'll say it online, you have a great speaking voice and uh, you really did a nice job of uh, making us feel comfortable and, and drawing things out of us and it's been a lot of fun. 
Awesome. Well, thank you both for being on the show and thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that's show number 125, officially in the books. For all of today's show notes, you can head over to our website at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already while you're there, please drop in your email address to our newsletter and I'll update you on a few of my latest obsessions along the way. And for those of you who are still listening, you are the obsessed of the obsessed. And if you'd like to support what's going on here at Obsessed Show, I would love it if you would check out patreon.com slash Josh Miles and see if you'd like to kick in a few bucks an episode. It would mean a ton to me. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can get all of today's show notes on our website, still at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already while you're there, add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of my favorite new episodes and some cool things I find in my daily obsessions. Of course, all the links are over at obsessedshow.com to all the places you can find this show, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Spotify. So no matter where you find your podcasts, chances are you can listen to Obsessed Show from there. Just head over to obsessedshow.com. And if you would, head over to iTunes to hit subscribe and leave us a rating and review to help others find the show. Obsessed Show designed its own experience at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.